doing okay? All right. Okay. Okay. Um, whoa. I have a lot to share this morning um, about something that is very difficult for people, for the flesh to grasp, for the flesh to be on board with, um, for human beings to uh, do a lot of it, um, just difficult. We have talked a lot about this because this is very close to my heart, the idea about grace. So Peter, at the end of the second epistle, he, he finishes the epistle with an encouragement. He says, uh, grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grow in grace. I must tell you that in, in the sermon you will probably recognize a little bit of influence by a guy named Philip Yancey who wrote a book, What's So Amazing About Grace, that I read and read and read and every time I read it, I get more and more out of it. So I highlight, I underline, then I underline again and I circle the same things that I've already um, so, uh, highlighted before or whatever because it is so powerful to me. And yet, grace, being one of the most glorious virtues in the Christian life, is also one of the most difficult for us to do. Um, it is difficult, for one, because the flesh rebels against it. And two, uh, because not only does the flesh rebel against it, but the flesh thinks it has good reason to uh, rebel against it. So, from your flesh, you will get every justification and every rationalization to not be, live a life of grace. But when I look at the scriptures, I see it a ton. Not only are we uh, admonished to live a life of grace... Peter is admonishing us that we should grow in grace. Now, when I hear those words, grow in grace, my mind just goes all kinds of uh, uh, crazy places. Uh, because when, when I feel like this is something that we continue, so continually need to talk about it, because if he's going to say grow in grace, that means you need to keep on growing in grace. Yes? This is a journey. It never ends. You never arrive at being fully grown in grace. There's always more uh, growth to be gotten. And so it is never over. You never come to the final destination. Wherever you have come, you have arrived, but you're not going to stay there. So, but as Christians, sometimes... And, and this is just my limited experience. As Christians, <clears throat> often I, be, I feel like that people, they want to hear a new word. Something new. Something interesting. Something, I, I've heard that already. It's not about you hearing it. It is about you doing it. So, 
grow in grace, continue to grow in grace. Uh, there's a pastor in Argentina. Uh, he, he, he doesn't live in Argentina anymore, but he was from Argentina originally and had a church over there. And he said, and, and, and don't, don't hold it against him uh, uh, or against me that I even bring it up because it made sense to me. He says, in my church, after we received revival from the Lord, we came to realize that we're going to do eight sermons in a year. Because the people agreed that when I preached a sermon, I didn't give them time to do it and to grow in it. And the next week or Wednesday night or Sunday night, I came up with something different. So we jumped like a pinball machine pop, 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 all over the place and we're not growing in any area. That made sense to me. And you won't buy it if I do just eight sermons a year. Now, that's, that's just to say I just do, preach eight times. No, eight subjects, eight things that we, the issues that, we, that we're preaching about so that we can grow in it. I'm not going to do it. But, <laughs> but the point that I'm trying to make is there is no way, no way for you to grasp in one sermon what grace is about. Let alone have come to a place of living in a great way with grace uh, as uh, your goal and as your way of living. So grow in grace. Grow in grace. Um, Boy, as Christians... Do we ever need to grow in grace, brothers and sisters? And I haven't sold you on it quite yet because I've been sort of nice so far. And I haven't pushed very hard so far. But I'm going to push your buttons a little bit today because it is that important to me that we should be people of grace. That we should be people of grace. Of grace. So for us as Christians, it is not an option. It is not a choice. It is a mandate that we should live in grace. And not only, but that we should grow in grace. I realize that we don't have a lot of time, so I, I might jump some parts uh, here and there. I am 70 years old. Okay. Young, young, young man. I know I look 80, but... Um, I'm 70 years old. And as a 70-year-old, it'd be easy to have the perspective, what? I'm 70 years old, and I still haven't arrived? I still have to grow in grace? That would be the wrong perspective. The right perspective is, I'm 70 years old. I've been a Christian for many years, and I still get to grow. And I still be able to live in greater grace than before. And there's an expectancy in my heart to look toward the future and see what God has for me that I might be more gracious than ever before. Okay, that was a soft amen, but (laughs) I got an amen. (laughs) Well, yeah, okay. (laughs) Okay. 
the neat thing is that for us to live a life of grace, uh, God is on board with it. It was his idea in the first place. So that as difficult as grace is to live it, God is on board and he has a stake at it. Because I believe, this is just my belief, you don't have to agree with it. I don't have a scripture for you in this one. But I believe that what I gather from the scriptures, what I can sort of collect and wrap my mind around, is that grace might be, I'm not saying it is, might be the one virtue that will make all the difference in Christians' lives, not only concerning their own victory, their own victory in relationships, but their victory concerning witnessing to unbelievers. Because you cannot miss grace. When somebody lives in grace, it is for the whole world to see. They may not buy into what you're living for. They may not, may not buy into your message. But they can't miss it if they know anything about you. Let alone if they have dealings with you. Because grace does not hide. Grace is for everybody to see. And it is absolutely contrary to the flesh and to the worldly values. 180%. So they can't miss it. So, am I pleased with where I am? I, I sort of am. I sort of am not. But I'm not satisfied. I want all that God has for me in this area. Let's, let's, let's move along a little bit. Um, so then let me just give you a, a couple of things that I'm talking about over here. Where in the world do you see a young man that has taken part of his uh, heritage and has squandered it on riotous, wanton, loose living with prostitutes and the like, runs out of money, goes home to ask for forgiveness. His father sitting on the porch looking at, staring at the horizon when his son might come home. And there he sees his son, and he runs toward her son, which in the Middle East is a sign of humiliation. You never run to a guilty son. You wait for him to come to you. And he humiliates himself as the father runs toward his son. His son is trying to uh, ask for forgiveness. He cannot even finish all the words that he wants to say. And his father goes, shh, shh, shh. Hey, hey, we, we got, let's go in the house. Hey, hey, John, Samuel, uh, get him the, the, the nicest robe that you can find. I put it on him. And a ring and, and shoes for his feet. And the feathered calf that we, that we raised just for this, kill that feathered calf. And let's be merry. Where in the world? This is what Jesus is speaking of. When he's speaking about the kingdom. 
And so, not only did he come home and finds his father welcoming him, his father throws a party for him. And he says, not only is there a party over here, but we're going to be joyful about all this. Where in the world, when you have the owner of a vineyard, uh, he goes in the, in the streets to look for some workers. The work needs to be done on the vineyard. He goes there early in the morning, and he finds a few guys that he's asking, come to work for me. You're going to work all day long, and I'm going to pay you a denarius. And they agree that that's what they're going to work for. At 9 o'clock, he goes back to the streets. He needs more workers. At noon, he goes back in the streets. He needs more workers. At 3 o'clock, he goes back and he needs more workers. At 5 o'clock, he, needs, he goes back and gets some more workers. At 6 o'clock, it is not specified in the scriptures. You have to look a little bit and calculate a little bit to find out that it was 6 o'clock and, and so on and so forth. Uh, it's easy to find if, if, if I point it out to you. At 6 o'clock, he tells his accountant, pay them for the day. Everything is good so far. But then he instructs the accountant, I want you to pay the last one first. And when the accountant pays the last one first, he pays the last one a denarius. The guys that came first early in the morning, that worked all day long in the heat and the sun, they are thinking in their, in their minds, wow, whew, we agreed on a denarius. He's paid the guys that work just for one hour. He paid them on a denarius. Maybe he's going to pay us a little bit more. Maybe he's going to pay us a lot more. But they got the same pay also. And they're objecting. And they're saying, what would they say? It's not fair. <laughs> that is the problem, my brothers and sisters. That's why I'm warning you, and I want the Sunday school class, you may not like my sermon, you pray for me. Because grace has nothing to do with fairness. Grace simply is not fair. If it were fair, it were not grace. Think about it. Is it fair that the last guys that work for one hour, they get the same pay as the first guy? Somebody tried to make it fair. And they had the theory that, well, maybe the guys that, paid for, that worked for one hour, maybe they outworked everybody else. So therefore, they got a denarius also. Oops. The, the problem is that in the scriptures, in the story, it tells us, that they were idle guys that were standing in the street idle. And they were asked, why are you standing here idle? Well, nobody hired us. I wonder why they were not hired. They were idle. <laughs> so they certainly were not out working in the one hour, the guys that had worked for however many hours. Uh, it doesn't say what time the first group came. It said early. The second group came at 9 o'clock. So uh, 9 to, uh, uh, to 6 is what? Uh, nine to six is nine hours. So this group had worked more than nine hours. 
and they get the same pay. Jesus wasn't talking about employee relationships or anything like that. He was just trying to show that when it comes to the kingdom of God, it is about grace and it is not about fair. My dear brothers and sisters, if it were about fair, we'd all be in trouble. Matter of fact, in the, in the arena of grace, the idea of deserving something doesn't even come to the horizon. Doesn't come to the page. Doesn't even come in view. Because if we get what we deserve, oops. So, well, that's what the sermon is about today. <laughs> In many Christian circles, unfortunately, when somebody comes for reconciliation, they feel they have to crawl on their knees to come ask for forgiveness and reconciliation. And I'm wondering, how long do they have to crawl? My dear brothers and sisters, here you have a father running toward his son. He's not expecting his son or desiring that his son crawl to him. He's running to his son for reconciliation. Oh, whoa. Then you have someone called Jesus Christ who drug across down the streets, was beaten, spat upon, beard plucked out. He came from heaven to experience that so that we can have be reconciled to him. And yet, we have such a hard time living a, a life of grace. Living a life of grace. Concerning that story about the guys that worked in the vineyard, uh, one early in the morning, 9 o'clock, noon, 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock, and so on and so forth, uh, the, the first line of that story, it is found in Matthew, the 20th chapter, if you want to look it up. The first line of that story says, the kingdom of God is like. That is what the kingdom of God is like. But we have, for, in our lives, Christians included, it's all about fair. And it's all about deserving. Isn't it? And my dear brothers and sisters, if we try to make it fair, we miss the whole point. Now, let me be, let me be a little bit uh, more explanatory here. That there is grace doesn't mean that everybody gets away with everything. Yes, because there is a there is a learning curve, right? If 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 
my son is lying to me. I, I can be gracious. What does that grace look like? Do I'm just letting, letting him get away with lies? No. I'm not even, I can't even claim that I love him if I'm just letting him get away with lies. But the way I deal with him, that becomes a matter of grace or not. If I beat him, brothers and sisters, that is not grace. That is not grace. Yes, there is teaching involved. And there's responsibilities involved. But there is also grace involved. And if we are not careful, we are stepping over the line of ungrace and move into an arena of ungrace instead of staying in the line of grace when we are teaching people and we are dealing with people. If somebody, yes, we know from the scriptures there's correction, there's rebuke. Yes? But most of us rebuke not with grace. Most of us rebuke. Rebuke is for the benefit of the person who's being rebuked. Do we agree on that? Yeah? But that is not always the case that the way we rebuke or we correct. We correct for our benefit. We let them have a piece of our mind. And we, that is called venting. Venting is not correcting. Venting is venting. <laughs> I thought I'd give you a, a real doozy over here. <laughs> so, so, a little intellect. <laughs> venting is venting. And it should be confused, confused with correcting. Correcting is a different deal. Correcting is for the benefit of the one who's being corrected. So, I have to check and see where we are. I like to, I like to, I like to finish this sermon today. Um, we'll see. If not, I'll, I'll finish it next week. So now, now I come to a place where years ago, now this is probably at least 20, maybe 25 years ago, I was asking the Lord, Lord, I want to know about grace. Would you teach me? And I started reading and I started studying and it blew my mind. I didn't go crazy or whatever, but it, it blew my mind. I couldn't wrap my mind around it. Wow. Wow, this is something. This is too much for me. I left it alone. Excuse me. Then maybe about 10 years ago, 12 years ago, the Lord started bringing grace back to my attention. And I told the Lord, I say, Lord, I want to learn about grace. I want to not only experience it from you, but I also want to become a dispenser of it to other people. That my life would become a life of grace. I haven't arrived anywhere, folks. Uh, I'm just like you. Uh, but I want to. It is a journey. Uh, but I want to. And... Then I also ask the Lord, I say, Lord, but I, I, I'm praying that you will give me understanding so that I might be able to teach it to God's people, to your people. So that in an intellectual way, not intellectual as in 
high intellect, but in an intellectual way as in a brain way, uh, that they can understand with their mind how this thing works, and then they can desire in their heart to walk like that, and then God, you are on board with that, and you will help them. But Lord, may I be able to explain it at least a little bit. So, and as, as the way I am built, I come, try to come up with some definitions so that I can give the people a definition and they can work with that, that definition and wrap their mind around it. So, the first definition I came up with was, and I think he's going to put it on the, on, the, on the board. He says, being a blessing... Or giving a blessing, I, I was just checking if he had the right one. Being a blessing or giving a blessing to someone who deserves the opposite. Being a blessing or giving a blessing to someone who deserves the opposite. What do you think of that? I, I, I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> Brother John is giving us a wave. Give us a wave, Brother John. There we go. Brother John is giving us a wave. Um... And then, I, so I, I lived with that. And I told people, this is what grace is. But remember, it says to grow in grace. So I realized that God is going to show me more. So then, after a while, this was maybe six months or eight months, then I came to the conclusion that there is more to this definition than just being a blessing or giving a blessing to someone who deserves the opposite. Then the Lord had me add the words to it at my expense. Being a blessing or giving a blessing to someone who deserves the opposite at my expense. So now it's costing me something. We'll talk about that a little bit more in just a little bit. And then maybe a year later or so, Maybe nine months, maybe ten months, maybe 13 months, I don't know. But about a year later, I came to the conclusion that, oh, Lord, you're showing me that there's more to it than that. You're showing me, Lord, that it is not just being a blessing or giving a blessing to someone who deserves the opposite at my expense. But I should do it freely and joyfully. So my definition became uh, being a blessing and giving a blessing or giving a blessing to s- freely and joyfully to someone who deserves the opposite at my expense. Do you like it so far? And I thought that was pretty good. About a year later or so, the Lord showed me there is more to it than that. That you shouldn't just be, be, try to be a blessing or give a blessing to freely and joyfully to someone who deserves the opposite and it's going to cost you something at my expense, but that also it should be for the purpose of total exoneration. We're going to go through any of these items. I, 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 I'm not going to be able to finish it, but I'll give you the, the list, and then next week we'll go through all of these 
words and phrases that he's given me concerning the definition. Because certainly, if I'm going to give you a definition, if the definition is going to be worth anything, it must be scriptural. Yes? Scriptural. So, I'll give you the scriptures. So, then he says, so, total exoneration. That is to say, that you will be a blessing to them, freely and joyfully, though they deserve the opposite, and it costs you a bunch, but it is for a purpose that you set them totally free. No more guilt, no more shame, no more fear, and that sort of nonsense things. You don't give them a blessing or be a blessing to them for the purpose that they feel more ashamed. And that could very well be the truth. I know people like that. That are nice to people that have wronged them just so they feel more ashamed for being so wrong to me. That is not grace, my friends. That is to give them what they deserve. But if you give them what they deserve, be careful. Because God is not pleased with that. Before I go on, let me just say this. The reason why I know that God is not pleased with that is because in Matthew, the 18th chapter, he tells us a story about a king who's settling his, the account with some, some of his servants. And one comes in the, in, in the, in the, in the room, and, and the king says, Hey, you owe me a ton. You'll never be able to pay me back. It is so much. I'm going to throw you and your family in jail. And he begs the king for forgiveness. And the king has pity on him and forgives him the whole debt. I don't know because the scriptures don't say exactly. Anyways, I, 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 I haven't read on it just yesterday or whatever, but I, to my knowledge, the scriptures doesn't say when the servant left the, the palace. But I figured he's done with the king. Maybe he has a few little things to do over there. He's leaving. He's going home. So if, if it was not a matter of minutes, it, it might have been a matter of hours. He has been forgiving a huge debt that he could never pay back within hours. He throws in jail a fellow servant who owes him just a little bit. And the Bible says, to his misfortune, other servants saw this and reported it to the king. King called him in and threw him to the tormentors and says, Jesus tells this story and he says, so will God do with you if you, not from your heart, forgive your fellow servants their trespasses. Something like that. It's not word for word. But it's, the, truth is, the truth is there. 18, 31, 32, 33, one of those verses. Um, so God is not pleased when we deal with each other on the basis of tit for tat. This for that. You did this, so I do this. It's about on the basis of you did that to me, I'm going to forgive you. Not only that. I'm going to, best I can, prevent you from even feeling guilty about it. See why grace is so difficult? Impossible to the flesh. 
but in the kingdom of God, it is the rule. Not the rule as, as the law. The rule as, as the common threat throughout the kingdom. So then, the Lord started working on me. Grow in grace. Okay, so now he's telling me, uh, not only should you be a blessing to them and give them a blessing freely and joyfully to the one that deserves the opposite at my expense for the purpose of total exoneration, but I should also wish him victory. Unto victory. As we have held our dealings, Brother Brad, right? Brother Brad, we have had our dealings, and, and, and we, we, we're done with it. And uh, you, you, you have offended me. And for, you would never do that. It's just it's hypothetical. Don't, don't, okay, don't be offended. <laughs> um, and, and you walking away, I say, hey, God bless you, my brother. I, I wish the best for you. But just recently, even. I want to say this was not even six months ago. Ah, maybe about six months ago. The Lord showed me to grow some more in grace. And he says, no. I'm going to add something to it. You must take the initiative. So now, I give you the full, my full definition. And maybe, in six months, God adds some more to it. (laughs) And I feel that it is my responsibility that as God grows me in grace, and He grows me in my understanding of grace, that I teach it to the people that God has entrusted in my care. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? (laughs) <laughs> oh, you, did, you were not too loud at first. I thought, oh, they don't want to hear about grace. It's too difficult. It's too hard. Uh, and it is. But God is on board. So, um, so the, my new definition then is uh, taking the initiative in being a blessing or giving a blessing freely and joyfully. To someone who deserves the opposite. At my expense. It cost me something. For the purpose. Of total exoneration. Unto. Victory. So then. We don't have time today. Because we have. So then. The next half of it. I will give you next week. Because if I give you a definition. That definition should be. At least scriptural. Yes. Young people. Yes. Kayla, it should be at least scriptural. Thank you. Yeah. So then next week, we are going to talk about all these different items, taking the initiative to be a blessing or give a blessing freely and joyfully to someone who deserves the opposite at my expense for the purpose of total exoneration. I want to just talk about at my expense just a second, just a little bit. Because you see, we think that the word grace is just a nice word. Just a nice word. And it is sort of like, as Philip Yancey would say, sort of, we, we consider it just like, sort of like a, a, a grandfatherly nicety. 
Oh, Grandpa, nice of you. But my brothers and sisters, the thing about grace is this. The recipient of grace gets it for free. But the one who gives the grace, there is an expense. Where is it? There is an expense. The exorbitant price that Jesus paid on the cross, my dear brothers and sisters, that was not free. It was free for us. But for him, it was the highest price to be paid. And it was not even the physical pain on the cross that was the highest price. Followers of Jesus Christ have also been crucified. But it was that all the sins, every single solitary sin of all mankind, throughout all of history, was on his shoulders that day. The price was steep, my brothers and sisters. So, I, I, I want to give you fair warning that when you go into the arena of grace, that if you're going to live that life of grace, it's going to cost you. I don't want to fool you about that. But my dear brothers and sisters, the spiritual power that God gives you when you live a life of grace is worth it all. So next week we'll talk a little bit more about that as well. The, the, the cost of grace. To the recipient, it's totally free. To the one providing it, the dispenser, the one that's providing the grace, it could be very expensive. So I want you to know that before you're thinking that too romantically, whoo, a life of grace. <laughs> wonderful. Now wonderful when you receive it. When you give it, it's a different game cost you. The father was humiliated. It cost him. I'll, 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 I'll stop there. The Lord is good. All the time. Thank you. You have to, you have to finish the thing. The Lord is good. All the time. Ah, there you go. So, is this clear? Oh, you don't watch movies? You're supposed to say crystal. <laughs> crystal clear. Anyways, I like that movie somewhat. It's whatever. Let us stand.